Good morning, everyone. We're so glad you're here today. Let's stand together and sing. Psalm 877 says, singers and dancers alike say, for me, you are the source of Never will run. 
you for your Holy Spirit. Jesus, we glorify you this morning. There is no other God but you. There is no one like you. There are no other gods like you even. No one can compare to you as we worship you this morning. We exalt you. For you are worthy. There is no one else worthy. There are no words to say how great you are as we worship your name. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you.
your breath in our lives. 
Father, we've been standing here worshiping you. And we are so abounded in our faith. We so appreciate the grace that you have shown us in our lives. God, we look back and so many times when we were down, you encouraged us. When we were lonely, Father, you came and filled that void. When we needed healing within our life, you were there and you touched us and made us whole. Lord, there's so many times that we can look back and see what you've done. And Father, standing in this room are those that are lonely and need you to come and fill that void. And Lord, as we've worshipped, you have come and you have, we have felt your presence. And we know that you are here. And we thank you, Father, for what you're doing within our life right now. And Lord, I pray for those that need a healing touch from you. God, as the song music continues, reach out and touch the Lord as he touches. God, we know you. Jesus, you are in this room this morning. You will touch those that need a healing touch. God, those that need encouragement, may they find encouragement not only from you, but for those around them. And we would lift each other up and encourage one another. Because, Lord, this gym becomes a sanctuary. This gym becomes a place that we worship you and we lift up your name. And thank you, Father, for this privilege that we have to come into your presence together and to be called your people. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Then sings my soul, my sleeping God, how great thou art. Come on. Ushers, will please come and take over for a moment. Put the tithes and our offerings, and you may be seated. It's a wonderful day that we have together. Father, we thank you for the many ways that you have provided for us. We pray, Father, as we give back to you our tithes and our offerings, you will bless it. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And kiddos, you can come up and bring your offerings to your special place. And you can head out with Miss McKenzie. While we're uh, in the midst of of our giving, let me let me brag on our on our teenagers a little bit. Um, we have our teen Bible quizzing 
team has been working hard all year. And um, the next two quiz meets are right here in, in our facility, including this coming Saturday. So if you've heard about this quizzing thing, but have been curious about what it's like, would like to check it out. Um, they'll, be, they'll be quizzing against uh, all the other quizzers in our state this coming Saturday, starting around 9 a.m. until um, mid-afternoon. You can pop in at any time and follow them around. Our quizzers um, just dominate, okay? They're, they're flat out the best in the state. They just keep winning. And, uh, yep, it's, it, you know, it, it's fun to win, but the reality is they're hiding the word of God in their hearts and in their minds. And by the time these kids uh, graduate college, by the time Chloe, for instance, graduates, she will have dug into eight books of the Bible in, with, in, in memorization mode, okay? So, I mean, this is significant stuff that they're accomplishing. It's great to win. It's, they, they compete at the highest level. And uh, this coming Saturday is a regular meet, and the next month they'll be here for uh, our championships. And if they and when they win that, um, then they'll head off to Nampa for regionals, just like they've done the last two years. So it's exciting. Thank you, Dale, for your leadership in that. Let's just give them one more hand. While I'm bragging on our teams, our, our, the rest of our youth group, most of it, is up in Greeley uh, for their annual district main event. We took a dodgeball team, a soccer team, and um, uh, one that played basketball. Our dodgeball team won the championship game last night. And our soccer team won the championship game yesterday afternoon. And what's also really cool is Jake Babin, who uh, will begin his internship at, in our youth department. Um, and he's an 11th grader. No, he's a 9th grader. 10th. I'm going to get there eventually. 10th grader preached his first sermon at District Main Event this weekend. I just think that's phenomenal. Isn't that great? <coughs> Lots of cool stuff happening in our youth group and uh, and our children's department. So a lot to be proud of. Um, I want to invite George to come up with me because he just got back from Gambella on a on a pre trip. We're taking um, eight. We're taking nine people to Gambella this June. At this point, nine. Now, if you're still interested in joining in, it's not too late. But just give us a few words. I mean, you got like room. this many minutes. Okay. Uh huh. There's plenty of room on the plane for all of you. Yeah, and there's some pictures you can roll those, uh, Doug, just for sure. I want to give first thanks to our Bay Bay Street Christ for giving us our church and the ability to uh, touch the lives of people around the globe through African Relief Ministries. We uh, will help to widows, orphans, and African teachers. Uh, it's great. The need is great. Thanks for stirring our hearts, and thanks. Uh, for giving us the ability to be the hands and feet uh, to help those people in Africa. Uh, the widows were very encouraged to see us there. We were able to do a lot of preparation work. Uh, <laughs> the uh, ability for our church to provide for the job or equip them, which is a means of transportation for them. Uh, has We went, did some investigating and found that. 
we were able to meet with the mayor of Kampala. This is a bazaar up here. We got to discuss the needs of those in the church, and it was very difficult at times, but the Lord led us to it. And got to meet with the mayor of Gambella. This is the second largest city in in Ethiopia. He gave us his his blessing, literally praying over us. It was wonderful. We got to meet some of the police chiefs. We got to meet some of the city administrators. Said we built a road to the Ministries Ministries Center. The widows were very encouraged that when we went there, they said we wondered if it was just a walk in the grass. It was no walk in the grass. The building is going in construction. The walls are going in construction. Very encouraging. These two widows right here who are working, uh, they don't have anywhere. So uh, just under $3 a day is a big pay for them. And they're very excited to be there. Did you notice they're not wearing shoes? They're buying them shoes because they're wearing sandals and doing concrete work. This is crazy. And uh, we can hire anybody. We'd like to have the widows that need the help uh, be employed doing the project. It's exponential for growth for us. So thank you for giving me the ability to represent the city. Thank you. Awesome. Um, so the, uh, late June into early July is our trip. Um, just in case you were wondering, George's plane landed in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, just after the plane that took off crashed. I don't know if you heard about it, but that all happened the same day. So he was coming into Addis when that plane that was departing uh, crashed and 157 people lost their lives. So we're thankful to God that uh, he protected George and and the other passengers. But this is a group of people that still need prayer, these families that have lost all these loved ones. Um, You know, we're just reminded when we see these kinds of events, we never know. You never know from day to day, hour to hour, when it's our time, which um, implores us to be ready, right? Implores us to be ready. And one last thing I want to mention, Easter's just around the corner. I don't want you to forget that. I really want that to be on, on your radar, in your prayer life, when you're thinking about who you might choose to invite to church that day. Again, that, that is a, a, the one day of year that people are most open to coming with you to church. Uh, I can make a promise that, that, that we will do our very best to create an atmosphere where they will encounter the presence of God and hear the basic truth of the gospel that morning. So be bathing that weekend in prayer. I, I don't want to let Easter happen. I want to make it happen. Okay, let's be real intentional, real, real purposeful about our experience and encounter with the presence of the Almighty that weekend. Well, I want to invite you to the book of Leviticus, chapter 17. And this is an historic moment because this will be the first time I've ever preached out of the book of Leviticus. Um, so here's where we left off last week as you're turning to Leviticus 17. Uh, we were at the, the foot of the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, where God descended upon that mountain. Uh, he began to speak to the whole uh, nation of Israel. They, they, he just brought them out of 
Egypt, brought them to this mountain to worship, just as he had promised Moses that would happen. And um, he embeds the law. Um, and, and, you know, we, we especially focus on the Ten Commandments. He get, embeds those uh, commandments on the stone tablets. Moses is up on the mountain with God for 40 days, 40 nights. In, and in that time frame, Israel has determined that Moses must have been killed by God. Even though they can, they can see on top of the mountain, they, 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 they can see uh, this, uh, this, this amazing display of, of God having descended upon the mountain. They just determined that, that Moses is dead. So what do they do? Uh, they build a golden calf and they begin to worship. They begin to engage in idolatry. I mean, this we're talking about with, within the span of a few weeks, they've, they've made this kind of decision and this kind of action. And the Lord's anger burns against Israel because, man, we're, we've just barely gotten started here, and they've already turned to idolatry. Moses comes down, sees uh, what is happening, the, how, the, how his people have, are, are indulging in, in pagan revelry, and, and it's, it's an awful display, um, and he throws the, the, the embedded commandments down, breaks them, and, and then heads back up the mountain again. They move on from this scene, okay, and they begin their journey from Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, um, towards the promised land. And by the way, um, you can Google Lost Mountain of God, or or uh, the, here's a word, Jabel Al-Laz. There, there are people that have, have discovered this mountain and have, there's incredible pictures of, of all of the evidence that supports that this mountain has been found. Jabel Al-Laz, I, I think, um, uh, do you have the, that word that you can pop up there? So, yeah, see, like, this is where God descended on the mountain. You see the burn top there, okay? But if you want to Google that, Jabel Al-Laws, pull, pull that word up there so they can know how to spell that. And you can Google that, and you can see all the different things. You can see the boundary markers. You can see uh, the altar that they set up for, for the golden calf, all that stuff. Um, they have, there's photographic evidence of that, okay? So, you know, this is, this is a real set of events that has taken place. And they're moving on from that scene towards the promised land. And basically, uh, a little bit of Leviticus, but Numbers and Deuteronomy will continue that journey. So Numbers and Deuteronomy is still very narrative in, in how, it, how they're put down. And you're, you're tracking the story as they're headed towards the, the promised land, towards the end of Moses' life. But Leviticus, crammed inside of these five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus is thrown inside of it, and, and it's different. It's, it's distinct in, in how it's written. This is basically like a manual, like, like an instruction book on how they are to live. It, it's, it's what was given to the Levitical priests, the Levites, who were, um, who, who were given the responsibility of being and serving as the priests over Israel, it's like their inst it's their instruction manual. So as you read through Leviticus, 
Uh, I, I, it can be kind of hard to to stay focused. Um, a, a lot of it has to do with the fact that we don't really connect with it very well because it's not the system that we live in. But let's try to drop ourselves inside of this. So what God does when he gives the law is he, he creates this system, these parameters. And he's like, I'm going to be your God and you are going to be my people. There is going to be distinctiveness about who you are and how you live. And I'm going to talk to you about every single area of, of living, okay? And I'm going to give you instruction. I'm going to give you parameters on how to do that. And you're going to do it differently than all the other peoples on earth. And by doing that, you're going to ultimately be a light to the earth. You're going to show the rest of the world who I am. I'm revealing myself to the world through you by implementing these parameters. And it's holistic, church, okay? I mean, he's got instructions uh, on, on how to offer sacrifices, of course. He's got instructions on how to worship him. He's got instructions on how to treat each other. He's got instructions on, I mean, it's, it's very specific and, and truly can, can get quite um, overwhelming with it, the details. In chapter 16, the chapter just before our reading today, he, he's talking about the Day of Atonement, about how what, what the priests are to do one day a year where they're going to go into this, this thing called the tabernacle. Tabernacle, he gives specific details about, about this tabernacle. And the most important thing about the tabernacle, this is the place of worship. This is their church building, okay? This is where they go to offer sacrifices. But inside that tabernacle is a room that holds the Ark of the Covenant. This is that golden box. You've seen Indiana Jones, I'm sure, right? It's that golden box that that is, that is where God's presence resides. And only one person, one time a year, only one person once a year is even allowed into the room that that, that golden box rests. But this tabernacle, is, is, it's portable, okay? So as they're traveling across the land for 40 years, so a whole generation, uh, um, as, they're, as they're traveling or making their way to the promised land, this tabernacle is going with them, going before them. The presence of the Lord is going before them. Day of Atonement is that one day a year where the high priest is given permission to move into that room and offer uh, sacrifice, offer atonement for the sins of all of Israel. That's, I mean, so that, that's the specific things that you run into with these instructions. And we pick up the reading at verse 1 of chapter 17. And this is God speaking to Moses. So you'll see there, there's, a, there's a pattern throughout Leviticus where God is saying, all right, Moses, here's what I want you to tell Aaron. Okay, Moses, here's what I want you to tell Aaron. All right, Moses, here's what I want you to tell Aaron. He's got this again. The Lord said to Moses, speak to Aaron and his sons. So they're the priests. And to all the Israelites and say to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Any Israelite who sacrifices an ox, a lamb, or goat, in the camp or outside of it, instead of bringing it to the entrance 
to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, to present it as an offering to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, that person shall be considered guilty of bloodshed. They have shed blood and must be cut off from their people. So let me explain. Here's what, here's what was happening. They were so drawn to um, idolatry. They, they, it was so easy for them to fall into idolatry. One of the things they would do is they would go off out into the desert off on their own, and they would offer sacrifice. That was what the rest of the world was doing. And it was outside of the parameters that God had instituted. So he's making a very clear declaration, a clear warning. Stop doing that. If you're going to offer sacrifice, you're only to do it unto me. And the only way to do it unto me is to bring it to this place and allow the priest to do it in the right way. That is how you are going to be set apart Israel. That's how you are going to be doing things differently than the rest of the world. Clear statement and clear warning. Stop doing it the wrong way. Start doing it this way. If you do it the wrong way, you will be guilty of bloodshed. This is so the Israelites will bring to the Lord the sacrifices that they are now making in the open field. They must bring them to the priest, that is, to the Lord, at the entrance to the tent of meeting and sacrifice them as fellowship offerings. By the way, just a few chapters before this, as the Lord is giving clear instruction to Aaron and his sons about how to offer this kind of sacrifice and this kind of sacrifice and this kind of sacrifice, two of Aaron's sons set up their own thing, do their own sacrifice, and the Lord slays them in front of everyone, including in front of Aaron himself. They just witnessed this awful scene. And the Lord is making a very clear statement. Do it outside of my parameters, and you are guilty of bloodshed. Even if you are functioning or supposed to be functioning as a priest, do it the right way. Now, that, that sounds really harsh. In fact, what it reminds me of is the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts when, when the church is just brand new, right? And they're, and, and they're, they're just now figuring out um, how, how to worship Jesus, and, 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 and people are bringing their, their offerings to, to the feet of the disciples, and Ananias and Sapphira follow suit, but they do so deceitfully. They claim that, that they've sold land and they're giving 100% to the church, just laying it at the, at the feet of the church. The truth is, that's not true. They, they kept a significant portion unto themselves which would have been fine if they would have just been honest about it. Their deceit is exposed, and they drop dead right there on the scene, just like Aaron's two sons. And these, these two stories are, are pretty parallel to me in my mind, and, and I know that sounds harsh, and you're like, this isn't the God that I know, the God that, that I love, the God that loves me. Well, he's making a very clear statement in both of these settings. I'm, I'm trying to reveal the truth of myself to you. I am a holy God, and I am declaring that you are to be a holy people. And for you to do that, you're going to have to function inside of these parameters. Step outside of these parameters, and you're in big trouble. 
with Ananias and Sapphira, this whole new paradigm was being ushered in. Jesus had departed from the earth, and the Holy Spirit, the, the season of the Holy Spirit has been ushered in, just like what we experience now. But he was just was so new on the scene that the Holy Spirit had to kind of make the same sort of declaration about the parameters now that the church was to function in. And Ananias and Sapphira trying to bring deceit inside of it. It was, it was learned immediately with that story. You cannot deceive the Holy Spirit. He is the all-knowing God present in us. Okay? So back to our reading. I'll reiterate. This is so the Israelites will bring to the Lord the sacrifices they are now making in the open fields. They must bring them to the priest, that is, to the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting, and sacrifice them as fellowship offerings. The priest is to splash the blood against the altar of the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting and burn the fat as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Man, I wish I could burn my fat as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. They must no longer offer any of their sacrifices to the goat idols to whom they prostitute themselves. And that's just straight out of Egypt, what they learned in Egypt. This is to be a lasting ordinance for them and for the generations to come. Say to them, any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to sacrifice to the Lord must be cut off from the people of Israel. I will set my face against any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them who eats blood, and I will cut them off from the people. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Therefore, I say to the Israelites, None of you may eat blood, nor may any foreigner residing among you eat blood. Any Israelite or any foreigner residing among you who hunts any animal or bird that may be eaten must drain out the blood and cover it with earth, respecting the animal and its lifeblood, because the life of every creature is in its blood. That is why I have said to the Israelites, you must not eat the blood of any creature because the life of every creature is its blood. Anyone who eats it must be cut off. Anyone, whether native-born or foreigner, who eats anything found dead or torn by wild animals must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be ceremonially unclean till evening. Then they will be clean. But if they do not wash their clothes and bathe themselves, they will be held Responsible. That sounds like a parent talking to their teenager, doesn't it? Wash your clothes, bathe yourself. <clears throat> okay, just tedious stuff here. And you, you get into it and it's just kind of like, ugh, I mean, it's it's just so much. And 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 it's serious. I mean the 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 the, the pressure to to walk this out and to do everything just right had to have been overwhelming this was just one set of instructions on one thing 
And there's a lot involved. And, and every little wrongdoing, there's, a, there's an action of, of sacrifice that has to be done. And it's very specific on how it should be done and, and what should be brought to be sacrificed. The rules were very specific and, 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 and tedious and, and really quite overwhelming, especially to us Gentiles who don't function inside of a system like this. And this is typically why we just kind of blow past Leviticus. That, you know, we're just like, well, that doesn't have much to do with us now. Except that if we allow the Holy Spirit to do this for us today, I think we can see some big picture stuff here. What is he talking about here in chapter 17? Blood shedding of blood and atonement. The whole purpose for the sacrificial system that God implemented was that people could make atonement for their sin. You mess up, bring a goat. And depending on how you mess up, it might have to be male or it might have to be female. It might have to be a bull. It might, you might be able to just do some doves. You've got to figure all that out. But whatever you've done wrong, you've got to do shed the blood to make atonement for it. And you can't just do it wherever you want to. You've got to do it inside of this system just the way I have implemented. This, this is, these are the, the rules, the laws that he is laying out for Israel. This is how they are going to be set apart from the rest of the world. This was fascinating to me. Fast forward now to almost the end of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 10. So the writer of Hebrews talks about this system and the importance and the functionality of this system, but his words might surprise you. The law, this, the parameter, this whole system, is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. Not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The system that God himself implemented, that functioned for the purpose of atonement, just as is described in Leviticus 17, never qualified for real atonement because the blood of bulls and goats would never repay for the sin of humans. It was a shadow of what was to come. It was a foreshadowing of what, of what Messiah would ultimately have to accomplish. He goes on to say this, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, 
sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. They were doing it just as God had told them to do it. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I'm going to read that again because I thought for sure I'd get an amen from somebody with that. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Okay, you are awake. That's good. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again and again and again and again. He offers the same sacrifice, which never can take away sins. But when this priest, Messiah, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus isn't offering sacrifice over and over and over and over and over again. He stretched his arms out on a Roman cross. And breathing his last breath, he said, it is finished. The entire paradigm, the whole system that that had been put into place was a shadow of the work that Messiah was going to accomplish. And on that cross, he said, okay, it's done now. The confirmation of that is really interesting. As soon as he dies, what happens in the temple? The curtain is ripped in two. The curtain in the temple. Now, this, let's, let's distinguish this. The tabernacle, which is functioning in Leviticus 17, is a temporary dwelling. For God, They get into the promised land generations later when David and Solomon are, uh, are, are kings of Israel. It's Solomon that finally gets to the point of building the temple where then inside of the temple, the Ark of the Covenant, which was functioning inside of the tabernacle, is now moved into a permanent spot in the temple. It's destroyed, and a second temple is built in the same place, and this is what's in place when Jesus is walking the earth. When he stretches his hands out on that cross, the temple curtain, which was huge, four inches thick, okay, four inches thick and 20-something feet tall. This is a huge, thick curtain that sits in front of the Ark of the Covenant. It protects the priests from the wrath of God coming out against them. Only one person, one time a year, Day of Atonement, is even allowed inside of that space. It is finished, Jesus said. And at that moment, that temple curtain was ripped in two. The presence of the Almighty is released from behind that wall, behind that curtain. And a new temple 
is dedicated just a few weeks later when the believers in Jesus are all together in one place. And suddenly the sound of a blowing of a violent wind comes on them and tongues of fire come upon them and they begin to speak in tongues. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Almighty moves out of that hidden room and into the hearts and bodies of those who believe. When this priest had offered all for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. See, we we worship the way we worship now. Because Jesus fulfilled the first. It's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He completed the first so he could implement the second. We function inside of this whole different paradigm now. We have freedom in our worship now. We are walking temples of the Almighty now. With the presence of the Almighty in us, enveloping us, invading us, surrounding us, leading us, guiding us, protecting us shaping us and molding us and transforming us. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, in view of the fact that that Jesus himself fulfilled all of this stuff, we we don't have to do all that stuff. We don't have to stress about that. We can can essentially overlook an entire book of the the Bible if we chose to because this instruction manual is moot now. But we don't ignore it. We look at it because it helps us to understand what Messiah has done for us. Therefore, in view of this mercy, in view of God's mercy, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. Maybe not just about showing up on a Sunday and singing the songs correctly. That's a form of worship, but our true worship is how we live out our lives. And it's not about being bogged down in the details of an, of an old paradigm. It's walking freely. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That, that's the whole point of that verse, okay? But our freedom still has parameters connected to them. He fulfilled the first so that he could employ or implement the second. Our freedom doesn't mean that we can just do whatever we want to out in that world and say, Jesus loves me. That's not what Messiah intended for his followers, his disciples. So we pay attention to the rest of Scripture. We pay attention to what, what, what the New Testament shows us about how we are to live out our lives now. Free from all the nitty-gritty of these things, we can, we can pretty much eat what we want to now. 
We don't, we don't have all these crazy restrictions against us now. But we do walk in the light as he is in the light. We do purpose to pursue the presence of the Almighty in our life. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. This is your spiritual act of worship. And he goes on to say, so conform no longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The presence of the Almighty begins to change and shape the way we think because the way we think sets a trajectory for how we behave. Ask any psychologist, any counselor, that's human. That's being human. He wants to transform and renew our minds. Why? So that then we can test and approve or know God's good and pleasing and perfect will for our life. We want to know how to function in this, in this new paradigm Conform no longer to the patterns of the world and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is what the basic system is for us now. Aren't we thankful that Jesus did what he did on the cross? That we don't have to try to cram ourselves inside of a, a, a crazy system where the truth was splattering blood on the walls and and we have to determine which animal to bring to shed the blood and blah 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 and all, all this stuff and we have to know which hoof foot animal we can't eat and which ones we can't and who cho- chews the cud and who doesn't and all, all these crazy things that they had to pay attention to okay they had to pay attention to all of it and know all of it and do it right. And if they did anything outside of it, then they had to offer sacrifice to, to make it right. And they were unclean for however long and before they could get in. Would you pray with me? And as we're praying, I want to invite the worship team back up. This, 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 de- this deserves praise and worship. Jesus, we thank you for for fulfilling all of the law and the prophets. We thank you for the system that was put into place because it helps us now, even though we feel so far removed from it, rightfully so. It, It helps us to understand like just like all, all the stuff in, in this chapter, the, the, the intensity that you have about the shedding of blood. It, it, it causes us to be really aware of the, of the high cost of our sin. It's so easy for us to take for granted your grace and your mercy. we're reminded today the shedding of your blood that made atonement for our sins for all time it cost you your life you 
the creating God of all the universe knew the only way to make this right was you were going to have to become human and walk this earth in perfection. See, the only bloodshed that was going to make atonement for our sin was going to have to come from a perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And there was going to be no human that was going to be able to do that. You had to do that yourself. So we come before you today humbled by what you have done for us, overwhelmed by what you have done for us, and grateful that you fulfilled it and accomplished it in Jesus. So we worship you today. true believers are to worship you, and that is in spirit and in truth. Church, will you stand with us? Let's start to celebrate. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Jesus, the only one who could ever save, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you.
the Lord make his face to shine on you, be gracious to you, make him fill you with his peace and his empowerment to live out sacrificial lives before him. Have an amazing one this week. We'll see you next time. Lord, speak to us. You have all I tasted. I will linger, listen. I can't miss a thing. Lord, I know my heart longs for you. My heart wants something new, so I
Jesus' hand.